Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Thank you very much, Pete, for that intro. And uh, gosh, I can't tell you how sorry I am. I was not with you two weeks ago. I just, it just sucks. It just sucks. But I'm really happy to be with you tonight. I'm impressed with what God has done with you all. I keep, I keep tabs on you. I hear about what's going on. I've got a lot of contacts here at UVA, and uh, I love your, your leader, Pete. You're doing a fabulous job. You really are. Appreciate all your sacrifice and love for these kids. And I feel a sense of destiny in this room that God is going to do something individually with each of you that blows your mind, goes way beyond your comprehension. And what you need to do is make sure that your eyes are enlightened, Paul said, Ephesians 1.18, that you might understand the hope of his calling. Meaning, why in the world did he put you on the planet? And if your eyes are continually looking at that, you're not going to miss your purpose. You're going to be able to see it and pursue it. And generally speaking, that which we gaze at on a regular basis and behold is what we become. And I pray that the Lord opened your eyes so you can do that. Turn with me over to the book of John. And look at John chapter 11. The title of the message tonight is Welcome to Mission. Welcome to mission. And I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make sure I'm not distracted by speaking with a mask. I don't know how to do that. But I'm going to work at it really, really hard. I did take a Tic Tac so that I didn't smell my own breath the whole time. (laughs) Gosh, it's bad. Welcome to mission. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 45. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 45. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by, the ti- by, by this time there is a bad odor, he, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Lord, help as we study your word. This was a setup. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were Jesus' friends. Maybe some of his closest outside of the disciples. They were supporters of his ministry. Anytime he came to Jerusalem, 
He'd stay at their place. Bethany was about a mile and a half to two mile walk. And so this would be his bedding community. These people believed in him deeply, loved him deeply, had paved the way for him financially to do the things that he needed to do and made sure that not only did he have a place to stay, but his disciples had a place to stay. So their resources were considerable. They had a pretty large house, I guess. We see that Jesus showed up one time with the disciples and it was kind of a surprise. And uh, Mary's sitting there in the house uh, at the feet of Jesus and Martha's doing all the work and she's mad at, at, at her sister. And she says, don't you care that I'm working so hard? Tell her to help me. Why? Because, well, she had to figure out how to do lunch for about 15 folks at the last minute. Now, we can talk about the, the, the attitude that Mary, Martha had in the middle of it, but I'm just trying to let you understand that these people had considerable resources to be able to help, and Jesus would use those resources and ask them regularly whenever he came to Jerusalem. Now, his ministry was primarily in the area of Galilee. That's where he did most of his stuff. But he had to come down for the feasts, of which there were three every year to Jerusalem, to do ministry there. Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, and Feast of Passover. Excuse me, Tabernacle, Pentecost, and Passover. And so whenever he came, he would do ministry and stay there. These people loved him dearly. They send word, Mary and Martha do. Now Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are brothers and sisters. Send word and say, your friend, the one whom you love is sick. Mary and Martha send this message. And the disciples are hanging around Jesus. They get the word when he's, when he's uh, they're, they're contemplating what he should do. And they're looking at him thinking, surely he's going to get up and get on his horse and ride because he loves this man so much. Jesus says, yeah, let's wait a couple of days. Now, Mary and Martha would not have sent anybody to Jesus if Lazarus just had a cold. The reason they sent somebody to Jesus is because their brother was really, really sick. And they didn't have any kind of medicine to fix it. And they knew Jesus had some power to make stuff right. And they said, he's the one. He's the only one that can fix this and make it right. We need to send somebody to him in a hurry and get him over here. Jesus says, ah, let's wait a couple of days. The disciples look at Jesus and said, oh, my goodness. This is how he treats people who love him? Are you kidding me? Wow. Then another delegation comes from Mary and Martha and says, the one whom you love is dead. The disciples can't figure it out. They don't know why in the world Jesus delayed when he had the power to fix whatever was wrong. And then they really can't understand what he's about to say next when they hear he has, meaning Lazarus has died. He says, time to go. Let's go see him. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you had an opportunity to fix this a while ago. And you decided not to. And now you're going? Listen. We always want God to work on our plan, on our time, in our schedule. But generally speaking, the only reason he delays and doesn't do what you want him to do when he wants to do it is because he wants to do something better. Your idea of success and fulfillment is too small. He wants to do something that makes everybody, including you, go, wow! 
That was amazing! And he didn't just wait until Lazarus died. He waited until Lazarus was good and dead. Four days in the tomb. So bad that Martha said, wait, wait, wait. I know you want to pay your respects. This is the first time you've been here. I get it. But he stinks. (laughs) No, don't open that tomb. Don't move away to rock. He stinks. This is how long he waited. Four days. Four days. By this time, all hope had been lost by Mary and Martha. The process of decay had begun to take effect in Lazarus' body. They all knew what was going to happen in four days. Nobody can fix this, right? And so they're just thinking, this is terrible. And Jesus shows up on day four. And all of this is a setup to let everybody know that there is not anything on the planet that is greater than his power, not even And when we think about our own lives, (laughs) I remember when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, and my sin was so evident to so many people that there were some people who thought, that one can't be helped. He's got too many things wrong with him. And God apprehended me at Indiana University. So much so that I was so changed that I would go out on campus and start preaching the gospel in open air. As students were walking by and standing in the grassy area and just start preaching. I wasn't caustic. I wasn't mean. I was very conversational, just like I'm doing now. I came up with some really neat pop psychology stuff that made them stop and at least dialogue with me. I said to them, are there any absolutes? Are there any absolutes? And I just kept yelling. it. Finally, somebody would say, no, there are no absolutes. I said, um... Okay, are you absolutely sure? Because you just made an absolute by saying there are no absolutes. And how much influence and power and how much information do you have to make that statement? How do you know that there are no absolutes? There is one who does have the ability to make a statement like that, and he is God Almighty, not you. And so we begin conversation. It was really neat. And I'd do that about every three days. So it would be a new crowd that walked by. Love preaching the gospel. I never saw an angel that said, Brett, you need to go ahead and get in the ministry and, and, and don't be a dentist like your dad. I just wanted to do this thing so bad that it consumed all of my life. People looked at me and said, that is not the same human being. My sister, whenever she comes, we're 15 months apart. Whenever she comes to my church in D.C., she sees me. She sits on the front row, and she sits there like this. (sighs) That's not Brett. God wants to do something that makes everybody go, wow. Four days dead. As Jesus shows up, Martha runs out to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. He said, if you you just believe, 
I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me shall not die even, shall not, shall not die even, shall, shall live even if he dies. Just believe. Oh, I believe my brother will be raised on the last day. I know that. No, no, I'm talking about now. I said, I am the resurrection. She realizes she didn't get the result that she wanted from Christ. And so she goes back and tells her sister, Mary, who comes out and says the exact same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus then, since he became very somber, and we have the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now there are commentators who will tell you that uh, Jesus wept because he was so concerned about Lazarus dying. And that's what some of the people, it says in Scripture, actually believed. Oh, how he loved him. That's what they said. But I have a problem with that. Why would he, who was about to raise him and have lunch with him, cry about him being dead? He's about, he's, he's about to say hello and give him a big hug. I just don't think that he was weeping about the... The, the, the mourning period of his buddy dying, especially when he was the one who could have saved her from dying by coming when the sister said, come. What I think he was weeping about is a doubt and unbelief that everybody had that he could actually fix it now. I mean, is there such a thing as, a, as one, one miracle greater than another? How do you quantify or qualify the, 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 the magnitude of a miracle? How do you do that? Is it easier, Jesus said, when somebody was lame, to either say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk? Which one is easier? He looked at the religious leaders that were mad at him because he had told this young man, your sins are forgiven. He said, only God can do that. You can't do that. He said, well, let me ask you. Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Same power comes from the same source. So that you might know that the power of God has been dispensed in me and then delegated by me. Get up and walk, boy. He got up and walked. And they didn't know what to say. How do you qualify the magnitude of a miracle? To God, it's all easy. We think one is more difficult than another to do. One circumstance is harder to overcome than another. To God, it's all easy. It's the blink of an eye. It's the raising of a finger. It is all easy. Whether Jesus was going to heal him from his sickness or whether he was going to raise him from the dead, it was easy. And so I think he was weeping at the doubt and the unbelief that existed in that environment. That they had been around him so much and so long. They'd seen him raise the, 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 the son of the widow at Nain. They'd seen him touch Jairus' daughter who was dead. They'd seen him make people who could not walk, walk. There was nothing he could not do. And yet here we come. Probably about six months from the time that Jesus is about to be crucified. He has ministered now three years. And these people still didn't get it. That'll make a brother cry. 
I'm telling you, if you do everything that should be done, whereby people can have faith in the Lord God and in your ministry, and there's nothing that you have left undone, and then people that you have walked with who are most close still say, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like, eh, can you do it again? Make a pastor cry. Especially when you realize these, these are my leaders. These are the people I'm training to take over my ministry. <laughs> I failed. I got six months to be on the planet. And they still don't get it. Jesus wept. And I'm doing everything I possibly can. Please hear me in this. Everything I possibly can to never make Jesus cry. Do what you can every day to remember what he has done for you so that when you encounter the next circumstance, you do not doubt whether he will do it again. Our doubt and unbelief offends God. We look at some of the sins that we commit of, of, of immorality or lying or covetousness, take any of them. They're all bad. But we don't think doubt and unbelief is near as bad, near as bad as the others because we kind of give in to the weakness of humanity and realize that we are captivated by this world on a regular basis and we don't live in the realm of seeing God do miracles all the time. Yet, we are a miracle. You are a miracle. There is no greater miracle than the born-again experience. None. When you walk around every day of your life, you are a walking testimony of the grace of God. The born-again experience is the greatest miracle. Why? Because it is a heart that has been changed and will never be unchanged. Listen to me. If you're blind... And God opens your eyes, powerful. But please understand that at some point, those eyes will be closed. You'll die. Life is not going to be the same. If you're lame and you walk, at some point, you're going to be horizontal in a casket and nobody is going to be able to help you. All the miracles that God does for the physical body and for our temporal uh, uh, reality At some point, they fade. The only one that lasts for eternity is the changed heart. And if you hold on to that, then you realize how difficult it is to change somebody's heart. It took his life to do that. It did not take his life to raise somebody from from their bed of affliction. It took his life to change our hearts. And if he gave all that and made it happen... Your walking life, your miracle of a life ought to be the greatest testimony to where you can believe now that God will do whatever he needs to do for you tomorrow. Do your best to make sure that you don't make Jesus cry. Doubt and unbelief is horrible. If my children came to me on a Saturday morning, walked in my bedroom. Now, all of them are grown. My oldest is 33. My youngest is uh, 21. It's all in the room. But if they were little and they came to me and walked in my bedroom Saturday morning, tears. Dad, Dad. Oh, oh, Dad, oh, oh, I'm really concerned. 
I'm scared. What's wrong, baby? What's wrong? Are you going to give us breakfast today? What in the world's wrong with you? <laughs> Who you been talking to? Has there been a Saturday that I haven't given? Has there been a day where you haven't had? What is wrong with you? <laughs> but this is the way we are with our God. Has there been a day when he hadn't provided? Has there been a time when he hasn't helped you? And yet, when we come to the next obstacle, Don't make him cry. Don't make him cry. He then comes to the tomb. And as he's there at the tomb, he says, remove the stone. Now, this is the beauty of understanding about how community ought to work. Every bit of this is not just the power of Almighty God, though I am grateful for His Almighty power. But it is also His choice to use human beings to help. The first thing He says when He comes to the tomb, and this is where we get to encounter Him. This is where, where, where Lazarus encounters Christ. So there are three points I'm making tonight. One, encounter Christ. Two, experience community. Three, extend the kingdom. Encounter Christ. Experience community. Extend the kingdom. Lazarus is about to have a moment. <laughs> this is phenomenal. First thing Jesus says is, remove the stone. Well, why was it important to remove the stone? Lazarus could be raised on the inside. The stone wasn't really important to that. But the stone was important to seeing Lazarus from it by everybody else. And sometimes you've got some impediments in your own life, you, can't, you don't really realize them, but you've got impediments to your own life to where other people cannot see the resurrection power in your life. And sometimes you need people around you who can help you understand your blind spots. You need them to help you remove your stones. You've gotten comfortable with the environment in which you are where nobody really knows how much you love them. They really don't know your testimony. They, they, they kind of categorize you as a good guy, as a good girl, as somebody who is kind of moral. You know, you don't do the ostensibly bad, but they haven't really looked at you as one of those Jesus freaks. And you're kind of satisfied with that. You like your stone that doesn't allow people to see the true resurrection power. And other people need to sometimes come and say, you need, you need to pick up the testimony in your life. You need to work this thing out. You don't need to let that be in the way anymore. Remove the stone. And he asked other people to help. My life has been filled with people who are constantly removing stones. I don't know what I don't know sometimes. Now, I work really hard in making sure that my testimony is clear and my witness is seen, that my light is not put under a bushel. I work hard at it. But other people are ever say, you know, you need to do this in order so, so that people can see better, so they can hear better. Say this differently. Do that. I say, thank you. You helped me remove a stone. Fabulous. I am grateful. Now, I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. 
So it's a little bit kind of knee-jerk for me to be able to receive the kind of correction that doesn't necessarily feel as good as, it, as I'd like it to feel because I'd like to think I got, it, I got it enough together so I can do it on my own. I really don't need anybody else to help me. People are in this world to help you because you need help. You have no idea how messed up you are. You may not be as messed up as you used to be. But you aren't even close to being what you should be. And the catalyst to helping you become what you should be are other people who can see what they need to see so that they can help you become what you need to be faster. No, I don't like it when people tell me truth. But I love the result. Love it. And so after they tell me, and I may not have responded as well as I would like, maybe I was a little bit defensive. After I get past myself, get over myself, may I have another, please? Yes, sir, give me another. It's the only way I can grow fast. Remove the stone. Get it out of the way so other people can see. (laughs) And then Jesus, he says, Lazarus, come out. Now, now Lazarus has, has been all wrapped up. The Jews mummified people. And they would take spices and they would take cloths and they would wrap the body up in such a way as to do what they possibly could to preserve it. And I am, I'm convinced that in this process, it took a long time for Lazarus from where he was to come out to where he needed to be, where people could see him. I'm also convinced of of, of another thing, that Jesus actually had to call Lazarus' name. Because if he had not said, Lazarus, come out, he was at a tomb. He was at a graveyard. If he hadn't said, Lazarus, come out, the entire graveyard would have emptied. So he had to call his name. Lazarus, come forth. Where are my gentlemen? Where where are they? Come on up here and help me. The process would take somewhere in the neighborhood of 6 to 12 hours to wrap up a body. These guys are going to do it in about two minutes. They would do all they could to try to make sure that the body was preserved (laughs) as much as possible. Good job, guys. You're doing it. You're doing it. That's perfect. 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 Just stick, just stick it down in there any way you want. There you go. Now, now, wait, wait, wait. Okay, you almost done? Y'all are good. Y'all, you haven't done a problem with that, I guess. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, now, what y'all got to do, you got to lay me down on the on the, on the stage. Uh, now, I'm telling you, be careful with me now. Be careful with on me. Back? Yeah, on my back. On my back. On my back. Thank you very much. Oh, 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 okay, you got it, you got it. Oh, there we go, there we go, there we go. Good job. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> got that done. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <clears throat> so now what they would do is they'd wrap them up. Y'all can go off stage now. I'll bring you back up in a minute. Bring, stay close, stay close. They'd wrap them up like this, and then they'd lay them on a slab in the tomb. So the tomb was like a, a, a cave that was hollowed out. And they'd, they'd make sure that there was a, a stone slab upon which the body could be laid. And so Lazarus is laying there. He's dead. 
Now, I want you all to say what Jesus said, okay? On the count of three, you say, Lazarus, come forth. One, two, three. Lazarus, come forth. Am I not dead? I, I ain't dead. I, what? I think that was Jesus. I sounded like Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I ain't dead. I ain't dead. Woo! I ain't dead. I ain't dead. Oh, oh, oh. oh, this is so great. I ain't dead. Oh, but he said, come forth. I'm in trouble. God. How about, uh, okay, let me see what I got to do here. out to the entrance of the tomb and then Jesus says unbind him now as these fellows are coming to unbind me <laughs> understand this that there are a lot of Christians that don't have the privilege of having other people around them and they are walking around hopping in their Christian life not free not whole just all the time doing this I am so grateful I have had other people come to me and help me. Unbind me. Let me know how difficult I am in circumstances, how, 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 how prickly I am. Deal with some of the stuff in my life that has been so hard for me to overcome from my parents or a coach that was messed up and didn't treat me as well as he should have, or a bad relationship, or people who may not have, have, have liked the color of my skin. I grew up in an environment that wasn't very pleasant. I was in Kansas City in 1966 in the suburbs of, of Kansas City. My dad moved us to white America, and we broke the color barrier in that environment. It wasn't fun. He thought it was safer than being in the hood where we were. I questioned that. Because I was the one who had to go to school every day and deal with people who didn't like the color of my skin. Hard was it. I needed people to unbind me from the pain I lived in on a regular basis. I couldn't do it on my own. You need to experience community like that. Where people can help you get free from the stuff that would stop you from getting forward. Everything about your life is about moving forward. It's not just about existing in this world. It's not about static. It's about taking the kingdom of God to a new place. God wants to advance things in your life. And too many people hop around thinking that because they got a reservation in glory, they're good. But God left you here to make a difference in this world. And every day of your life, you need to figure out how in the world you can make it a little bit better today than yesterday. Your life ought to be one quick, long progression toward the presence of what it means to be in his presence. What it means to be made in his image in a new way. 
unbind him. And then they said, let him go. Encountering Christ is hearing his voice and coming out. Some of you may not have heard his voice until tonight. I'm begging you. Hear his voice and come out from wherever you are. Come out and then allow people around you who love you. Now, there's no question, people. Folks will make mistakes. Folks will make mistakes and they will make mistakes on you. Sometimes they will, in an effort to try to unbind you, bind you. They'll say some things that aren't very kind. They may not be as faithful to you as God would be. But it's better to deal with people who might help you more than nobody who will not help you. I'd rather deal with the issues that would come with folks who might hurt me a little because I get help so much. And God gives me wonderful things in my spiritual tool belt that assist me in the process of dealing with all the pain and agony Christians cause me. I'm a pastor. I live in pain. All I do is deal with people's problems. Deal with staff problems. Deal with my community's problems. Deal with Christians' problems. Everybody comes into my life with baggage. I wish it was a carry-on. When they come to my church, it's kind of like you hear the beeping of a truck coming backwards. (laughs) The U-Haul trailer that's 37 feet long with all their stuff. And all I want to say is, have you heard of First Baptist? They're a great congregation. (laughs) No, no. Come. Come. This is what God has called us to. To help people. And so there is no perfect on this side. People are going to be problematic, and that includes you. You are problematic. And as hard as you think it is to dwell and be with somebody else, that person that really gets on your nerves, that human being that is prickly, that one that you, you, you really have to, you have to have a whole a seven-course meal of the fruit of the Spirit just to say hello and be in a Bible study with them. It's that hard. Remember, for every person that you think is that, somebody thinks that about you. So what do we do when all of us have issues? We say the benefit of being together is much greater than the liability. Yes, people will cause problems. But so much help comes from people. He said, lastly, he said, he said, um, unbind him and then let him go. Go. Jesus said, go in all the world and preach his gospel. Do you know how much of a testimony Lazarus was? He was such, such a witness that the religious leaders in the next chapter, chapter 12, said, not only do we need to get Jesus, we need to kill Lazarus. Now think about that for a minute. He'd already been dead once. 
<laughs> like, what was that gonna do? He'd just raise him again. But that's how much of a threat Lazarus was because they said Jesus is working on all these signs. He's producing miracles. People are following him. We don't know what to do. They're not following us anymore. They're following him. I know we need to kill the witness. We need to kill the sign. I am, I am hoping to God that my life is such a testimony of the resurrection power of God that it inspires people to do some bad stuff about it. I'm trusting that at some point I get to glorify him with some enemies. I never get any amens on that point. (laughs) Nobody wants trouble. I'm not trying to make it. I just realized if I live like him, I'm going to get what he got. If I'm not living like him, then I probably won't get what he got. I love people loving me. I really do. But I realize if I do what I'm supposed to do, not everyone will. And they will do all they can to try to snuff out the light. Be that. Be that. Be Lazarus. I can't get to Jesus, but we can deal with them. Be that every day. Such a witness of his resurrection power. Because Lazarus didn't stay in the same spot, he said, let him go. He extended the kingdom in a way where all the Jews said at the very end of the passage I read, and many believed in him. How many people have come to faith in Christ because of you? There ought to be a line long. Now, I've walked with him for 40. So the line of people that I've helped to lead to Christ at one level or another is pretty long. But I started when you. I started when I was your age. Junior in college, excuse me, third year. (laughs) And I just didn't stop. Now, not all of you are called to be what I I was. Occupationally, you've got other things to do, yet you're still called to ministry. And you need to figure out, what can I do to be the greatest witness I can possibly be? What does it look like for me to... Let him go. How do I extend the kingdom with the power of Almighty God in my life? How do I do it? My hope is that the power of Almighty God would so impact your life and radically change it So that everybody around you, even without you opening your mouth, would be able to detect the the life of Jesus Christ flowing through you. And you would be an undeniable witness of who he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Empower us as a group to live the way we should. To honor you every moment of every day with the words of our mouth, with the actions of our life, with the thoughts of our brain, the motivation of our heart.
Is there anybody this evening who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but you've backslidden, and your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand high. I'd like to pray for you. Today is a great day to get right with God. Anybody at all? see that hand once it's up you can put it down bless you alright you who raised your hand pray with me say Father in heaven forgive me I am sorry for the way I've lived I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart thank you for forgiving me thank you for loving me and thank you for giving me the privilege Jesus, the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. What happened? Oh, if you prayed that prayer, please come down front. Afterwards, someone will be able to pray with you about that. Love you all much. You're the best. Bless you. So this week, let's do three things. Let's encounter Christ, the one of resurrection life. Let's experience community and take our grave clothes, take each other's grave clothes off. Help each other be free and all that Jesus wants us to be. And let's extend his kingdom. Amen. Amen. All right. For the benediction, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.